Jonah. We all know the story. Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was, quote unquote, right with God. God said, go do something Jonah didn't want to do. Jonah went in the opposite direction. But God was so intent on Jonah being his partner and being involved in great things that God pursued him with a storm and with a fish. Yes? So the, so the sailors cared more about Jonah than Jonah cared about himself, evidently. The sailors cared more about Jonah than Jonah would care about the Ninevites. So after the sailors had made every effort to row the boat to shore and they couldn't, after they had called on all of their gods, and after they discovered that Jonah was walking in direct disobedience to his God, they asked him, so what do we do? Actually, they started to row after they asked him because he said, you got to throw me in. They didn't want to throw him in. They didn't want to throw him in. They didn't want to be on the wrong side of Jonah's God. If he was big enough to cause the storm, he was also big enough to fix their little wagon if they did the wrong thing. And they did not want to throw him in. So, after trying to row to shore, they realized we don't have an option. They threw him in and the storm stopped. And that's where we pick the story up. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From the inside of the... Well, the, he sent a great fish. I'm sorry. We pick it up after the great fish swallowed him. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. That's a scary thought. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you. To your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I with the shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I want to know how many of you learned how to swim by somebody throwing you in the water. They don't do that much anymore, but that's kind of how I learn. <coughs> it can make you pray, can't it? In between gulps of water, you're trying to keep from drowning. Many of us wait to pray until we're in the belly of a fish. What's it going to take for you to develop a consistent prayer life? A storm? The belly of a fish? Thinking you're at the end of your rope? 
Because that's kind of where Jonah was. Jonah was floundering in the sea and then this fish swallows him up and at one point he, he, he is about to die. He's, he's said my life is ebbing away and I think I'm banished from the Lord. In other words, <coughs> I'm cut off from God. I'm done for. I'm in. I, it, this is the end. And he says, then I remembered the Lord. <laughs> Hello? The cold water didn't wake you up, Jonah? The storm didn't wake you up? What's it going to take? Anybody here? I've, I've been in this thing a long time. I remember at least two distinct moments in my life when I thought the rapture had taken place. Anybody else? You ever been there? I have. I First time I was about seven years old and I came home, I'd just gotten saved. I came home from school on the school bus and my mama wasn't there. My mama didn't even have a car to go anywhere. My dad drove the only car to work. So she was there all day. I got home and mama wasn't home. I thought, oh no. I was scared to death. Mama finally came from somewhere, who knows where, but she was there somewhere. Happened when I was 16 one time too and I came home, mama wasn't home. Nobody was home. I couldn't find anybody, couldn't get anybody on the phone. I mean, it, it, was, it was frightening. I thought it was the end. Here I am. <laughs> it wasn't the end. But Jonah thought it was the end. And it made him remember the Lord. And it's the only thing that changed his direction. A lot of times our prayer life can be motivated by one crisis after another. But what God's really looking for is he's looking for an awareness that Jesus is the satisfier of our soul. And that life in close communion with him there's no substitute for it in this world. There is no elixir so sweet. There is no drug so powerful. There is no experience so exhilarating as knowing Jesus intimately. He is life. And ultimately, prayer is about being close to Jesus. It's about relationship not an arrangement, not rules, not, not regulations, not more religious expectations. Ultimately, the ultimate motivation for prayer should be a desire to be close to the one that we love more, who is better than life, David said. Now let's be honest, We're, all of us are not always there where our relationship with Jesus motivates us to the place of prayer. Just being with Him. Just, just speaking to Him. Just hearing Him. Just, just sensing His presence. Most of us are not there every day. Can I hear an amen? We know, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Most of us don't live in a constant craving for the presence of Jesus to be manifest more and more in our lives. But I'll tell you what will motivate us to pray. The C word. Amen? You say, what's the C word? 
Anybody want to tell me? Cancer. Cancer. Right? And some of you sitting here, you're survivors of cancer. And I thank God. But I'll tell you this. If I got the C word attach, attached to me this week, I'd pray more fervently. I, I'm, I'm honest. You better believe I would. There's a lot of things in my life that, that drive me to the place of prayer, but what Jesus really wants ultimately is for the basic motivation to prayer is just to hang out with Jesus, just to be close to Him, just to, just to hear His voice, just to sense His presence, just to enjoy His love, just to express our whole being to Him. And He does want us to lay our needs before Him, doesn't He? He wants us to. That's the beauty of it. He told us to bring our needs to Him. Amen? Amen? Change often begins when the price of staying the same is greater than the price of changing. You see, staying the same, Jonah, staying the same was going to cost him his life. And he said, that's too high a price to pay to stay where I'm at. I've got to change something. John Maxwell said this, people change when they hurt enough that they have to, learn enough they want to, and receive enough that they're able to. Fear of final banishment was the beginning of Jonah's turn. By the way, what is repentance? Repentance is when I have a change of mind and a change of heart that causes me to have a change of direction. That's repentance. Repentance is not saying, I've been a, a lowly, slovenly, sinning scumbag, so I'm going to come down, lay on the altar and weep and say, y'all y'all just ought to just shoot me and drag me out to the, the dumpster. That's not repentance. That, that may be included if that's appropriate, but repentance in its very bare essence is I have a change of mind and a change of heart and it causes me to change the direction of my life. That began with Jonah. The process of changing, but the problem is Jonah changed direction but didn't change his mind or his heart. He changed direction just to save his skin. He ends up saying, I'll, I'll, what I vowed to you, I will pay. I will sacrifice. Basically, yes, Lord, yes. Evidently, he was resigned to having to obey to save his life and his relationship with God. So he decided to go through with the very thing he had fled in the opposite direction to avoid. Now he's turned around. He said, okay, okay, okay. I give, I give, I give. God let the fish spit him up on the beach. And one of the most amazing sentences in this little book of Jonah is chapter 3, verse 1. And he says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Aren't you glad God speaks a second time? Aren't you glad God forgives a second time? 
Aren't you glad God gives more chances to get it? Aren't you glad that even after He has been after you and after you and after you and you keep kind of ignoring or blowing or just not paying attention, you wouldn't call it rebellion. You wouldn't cause it a refusal to hear, but you're just too busy to stop and listen and respond to the small, still voice of the Spirit when He's trying to call you to the place of prayer. And this sermon isn't just about prayer, it's about change. But because I'm challenging you to a, to a prayer commitment today, I may apply some of this to that, but you can apply it to all kinds of parts of, your, of, our, of our lives. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. The problem is Jonah's direction changed, but his heart didn't. You say, how do you know that? All you got to do is read the rest of chapter 3 and 4 and you'll find out his heart had not changed. His direction changed. He complied, but he didn't worship. Hear me. He complied with the directive of the Lord, but his heart was still saying no. Remember, I've told this little illustration Dozens of times in the last nine years I've been here, the little boy that was told to sit down and be quiet, and he said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Jonah was going to Nineveh on the outside, but his heart was still fleeing to Tarshish. His direction changed, but not his heart. It took more than a storm, more than a near-death experience in a fish, and more than a 550-mile hike. Because that's how far it was from the beach to, Tarsh to, uh, to Nineveh. was 550 miles as the crow flies. Jonah had to walk probably for a month plus to get to Tarshish. If you say he averaged 20 miles a day. Whatever, just do it. Do the math however you want to do it. But it was a long walk to Nineveh. And after all of that, when Jonah gets to Nineveh, he obeys the exact command of the Lord and then he goes outside the city and sits down and just hopes that God won't forgive him. We'll talk more about his attitude next week about the people of Nineveh. But you see, here's the problem. God used a storm, a fish, and a 550-mile hike to kill the selfish fight in Jonah. And even after Jonah gets there and preaches and the Ninevites repent, he goes beyond that and brings a vine over him. You know the story. And then he sends a worm to kill the vine. He, what's he doing? He's trying to kill the selfish, proud, independent willfulness of Jonah. He's trying to deal with it. In, he's trying to deal with the heart. Jonah has complied with his actions, but his heart still hates Ninevites. His heart still has a problem with God. Even though he complied, he didn't worship.
The Holy Spirit wants to show all of us where we comply, but our heart's not in it. You know the old saying, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with the girls that do. But we could add a little something on the end of that today for this message's sake and say, but I want to. <laughs> or I wish I could get away with it. God's after the heart. If He can get the heart, the, the, the behavior will follow. But if all He gets is some augmented behavior without a changed heart, eventually the behavior will fade away and you'll go right back to your old ways. The heart's got to be changed. It's God's patience. It's God's patience that continues to come back to Jonah. He continues to try to penetrate his hard-headedness and his hard-heartedness. God continues to try to penetrate beyond just mere compliance to get to his heart so Jonah could find fellowship with God again because they agreed. Because right now Jonah doesn't agree with God. You know what that's like for your relationships, right? Jonah still dared protest God's mercy on the Ninevites. I want you to see the irony of this. He still protested God's mercy on the Ninevites and evidently forgot God's mercy on him. He enjoyed God's mercy that he was not willing to extend to the Ninevites. Something wrong with that picture. When Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes, Jonah still hoped God would zap him. He went out on a hill outside town, built him a little, little lean-to and sat there and just said, oh, he hadn't zapped him yet, but maybe he will. Maybe he will. Maybe God will come to his senses and zap these critters. And it was, a, it was a desert, so God let a little vine grow up over him, gave him some shade, and he's just going, oh, that's so nice, God. And then the next day, God sent a worm, and he started eating at the vine, and it withered. Now he's mad. And God uses that to try to get to his heart. He says, you care more about that plant than you did about 120,000 lost people on their way to hell. We'll talk more about that next week. God's mercy on Jonah had not reached the heart level. I want to ask you a tough question right now. What theological truth do you believe that has not impacted your lifestyle? What sermon have you heard preached that you said amen to but you don't have a serious intention to go and try to apply it this week? Or last week? Or this week last year? Whatever. 
You see, we're really not as far from Jonah as we might want to categorize ourselves because Jonah knew God was a merciful God. He knew it. That's why he fled to Tarshish anyway. He knew God would relent and have mercy if those people repented. He was hoping they wouldn't repent. But when they did, he knew there was a high likelihood God would spare judgment. The truth he believed in his head did not penetrate his own behavior. Is there something you believe that isn't affecting your behavior? What theological truth do I believe that's not affected my heart and my behavior? Sometimes we change a little bit of behavior, but we still want to. We still want to. God wants to change our want to. The issue is, are you willing to let Him change your want to? Are you willing for Him to change your heart? Changing behavior is a start, but God's after our heart. Then change will last and it will affect our whole being. God was determined to affect Jonah's heart. And that's why he let a gourd grow over his head. There's a double meaning in chapter 4 verse 6. And when God let the plant grow up over Jonah, this is how it was described. The purpose, to shade him from his distress. But an equally valid translation of that phrase in Hebrew would be this. To deliver him from his wickedness. Now what am I to make of that? Here's what I make of it. Sometimes God will do good things for you. And sometimes God will use the bad things that happen to you. Because I don't believe God does anything bad to us. But... He will use bad things that happen to you not only to shade you from distress, but sometimes the very thing He used to shade you from your distress will also deliver you from the heart issues you've got. And He used the gourd plant that grew over Jonah to relieve him a little bit, but then He turned around and let the plant die to expose Jonah's own heart to Jonah. And you know what? This book doesn't end with a resolution. It ends with a question. Basically, are you right to care more about this plant and be angry about it and losing your own comfort zone than you are of the 120,000 people being doomed to destruction. He was trying to expose Jonah's heart to Jonah. Double meaning. Jonah couldn't see his own heart. What gracious patience of God it was. Because Jonah deserved to be zapped with the same punishment that was promised to the Ninevites. But God didn't do that. 
He was patient. He was patient to gently tug at Jonah's heart and create little scenarios where Jonah would be able to see it in living color, where he could understand it, where he, he could grasp it, where he could accept it. God continued nudging and working and, and appealing and, and dealing and showing and demonstrating. God continued. You know, Jesus said it, I desire mercy, not judgment. I desire mercy, not judgment. What did it take for the Ninevites to change? Well, pretty much the same thing it took for Jonah, the threat of their welfare. But when they changed, they repented in sackcloth and ashes and said from the highest to the lowest, even the animals nobody eats, and we're going to appeal to the God of heaven and see if maybe He will have mercy on us. They understood mercy. And God relented from judgment and saved the whole city. Basically, their options were change or die. Change or die. And can I tell you, in some ways, our only option is change or die. Or in other words, live a life of repentance. Live a life of repentance. You see, it says 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That word overthrown has a double meaning. The word overthrown can mean transform or overthrow. And so their options were, let God change their heart or experience being overthrown. In other words, their whole society being turned upside down. Both mean change. But one is positive change and one's negative change. Here's the way I apply this. There is no growth in my life without change. I can change without growing, but I cannot grow without changing. Amen? If there is improvement in my life, by definition, that requires change in me. Amen? I want to grow. I think I've made my intentions and my desire clear this morning. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to do more like Jesus for my own benefit, for my family's benefit, for your benefit, for anybody that encounters me's benefit, for the glory of God. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to experience more of His love. I want to experience more of His power. I want to experience more of His wisdom. I want more. Because He is the grand prize. And I want to live like that. Every day. Like He's the grand prize. But I can't go there unless I change. I can't grow there unless I change. And really the only option to changing is to have spiritual decline. It's just like this baby right here. This little boy is going to grow. And when he gets to the point that he's not growing anymore, what's he going to start doing? He's going to start dying. And boy, some of us, we know that. We look in the mirror, we know that's going on, right? I just knocked my little muffler off my, my microphone, so there we go. 
What I'm trying to tell you is this. Either we're getting closer to Jesus or we're getting further from Jesus. So, oh, it's not that simple, Pastor. That's, that's simplistic. Oh, it may be slow. But I'm either moving toward Christ with my whole heart or I'm, I'm getting divided and I'm slipping like this. No change equals no growth. No growth equals spiritual decline. This is not about staying on track, by the way. This is about learning how to get back on track quickly. Because how many can say, we get off track? Raise your hand. We get off track in our attitude, in our perspective, in our focus, in our desire, in our motivation. We are human beings and we are given to ups and downs. Amen? And we will get off track. Nobody, I don't care, your greatest spiritual hero of all time besides Jesus is the only one that never got off track. Peter got off track. Paul had to rebuke Peter. It's not a matter will we get off, can we stay on track the rest of our lives. That's not even an option. The option is I've got to learn how to get back on track quickly. And completely and constantly if need be. And he wants us to. He was trying to help Jonah get back on track. But Jonah wasn't cooperating. So how do we change? What's the process for change? What can we learn in Jonah about change? Well, strategy for change. We've got to see our problem clearly. I'm not going to wax long on any of these. I'm just going to list them. Number two. We need to own our issues and not blame other people. We need to own up to some of our deficiencies. We just need to own it. Say, yep, I got an issue with that, Jesus. I need help with that. Whether it's your temper or your tongue or whatever it is, I got issues. All God's children got issues. Look at somebody beside you say, all God's children got issues. All God's children got issues. Come on, they do. We all do. And you know what that means? There's room for change and growth. We will never be perfect until we get to heaven. It is a constant process of sanctification, which means becoming more and more like Jesus. Number three, see what's at stake for staying the same. I mean, it's almost noon, so I'm not going to go down this road too far. See what's at stake for staying the same. I just challenge you to ask this question in the next three weeks. What's at stake for me being just like I am another year? What am I going to lose? What am I going to miss out on? What kind of test, how's it going to affect my impact on people around me? What's at stake for me just being me? And by me, I mean the me with selfish fight still in me. And by the way, I never explained selfish fight, did I? Do I need to? Selfish fight is that thing that says, I got to defend me. I got to promote me. I got to take care of me. Selfish fight is that willfulness that said, I really like my hands on the controls. I don't, I don't want your hands on them. I, I, I want my hands on them. All of that's part of selfish fight that Jonah
was taking Jonah to Tarshish. Number four, reach for a goal more precious than conference we've coddled. Reach for something that's true treasure this year. Reach for it every day. Reach for it through prayer. Reach for it through obedience. Reach for it through worship. Reach for it. Number five, access others' encouragement, insight, and accountability. You want to change? You need to be in a relationship with a handful of people that really know you. They know what aches your soul. They know what causes you to lose sleep at night. They know what tempts you. They know what your flaws are. And you put it on the table and ask them to pray with you, encourage you, hold you accountable, to build you up and give you insight that you can't really see from the inside out, but they can see it from the outside in. We all need this. I'm convinced if we really want lasting change, other believers in the body are part of the process for me to change. I'll be talking more about that in the weeks to come. Here's the bottom line though. No prayer, no change. No prayer, no change. No change, no growth. No growth, spiritual decline. I want you to take that piece of paper in your hand. The little one. You keep the other one. It's got seven prayer priorities that I want you to pray. You can pray all seven of them every day over yourself and family and church. Or you can pray one of them for all those people each day. You say, I know how to pray. I don't need your help to pray. Well, I'm, this is in addition to what you pray. This is in addition. This is to bring us all into agreement. I'm just going to ask you to take this in your hand and I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Not what does Pastor Gary want. What do you want, Holy Spirit? Father, I pray right now that everyone in, that's hearing my voice would be willing to make a commitment to pray five minutes a day about these joint prayer issues that we're going to be sharing. I pray that they would be willing to change their schedule once a week to join with other believers live and in person. And I pray, Father, that You would make them so hungry and thirsty for your fullness that they would let a meal go and pray during the time it would take them to prepare and fix a meal and eat a meal. And I pray, Father, that you would lay on their heart a prayer request that they can share with this whole body so that we can join them in prayer and pray for them next week. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to fill it out right now if you're going to fill it out fill it out right now and I believe you are and when you get it filled out I want you to come and just lay it on the altar you don't have there's no you don't have to put your name on it if you want your name on it that's optional it's there but you don't have to because some of your requests might be very personal but you still want us all to join you in prayer I just want you to come lay it down and stand here lay it on the altar and stand there
I'm going to pray a prayer while some of you are deciding what you're going to do or whether you're going to walk up here or not. I understand you can lay it on the altar later on. I get that. You've already been down front once and I get that too. But you know, we ask people to come forward to accept Christ as their Savior many times in front of, a, in front of people that are not their family yet. But this is our family. And I'm just asking you to make a statement saying you're going to make some kind of commitment. I don't know what your particular commitment will be, but you're going to make a commitment to fast, pray, join together and pray in the next three weeks. I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us. Father, I pray that we would not be believers who obey You out of grudging compliance, but out of a full-hearted love of worship. That our heart and our behavior would both say, You are the ultimate treasure of my life. And nothing surpasses You in my priority. Nothing surpasses You in my desire. Nothing surpasses you in my valuation, oh God. Nothing. No one. Never. That's who I want to be. That's how I want my heart to be, Father. And I know there's days my heart isn't like that. But I ask you, draw me nearer to you, Lord. Draw me nearer. Draw me nearer. Draw me nearer, Lord, in the next three weeks. Draw me nearer. Speak to me in my times with you. Draw me to the secret place over the coming weeks. Burden my heart with the needs of my brothers and sisters in this church. Generate faith inside me that you're listening to me when I come aside and I talk with you. Let me hear your voice, God, in the coming weeks. Give me courage to respond wholeheartedly courageously, lovingly, sacrificially. That's who I want to be, Lord. So I invite Holy Spirit, You to do that work in my heart in the coming days. Would you just raise your hands and surrender to Him and say, yes, Lord, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. I may not be there, but that's what I want. And I, I'm confident your Spirit can take me there. I'm confident your Spirit can do this in me. I'm confident. And I thank you in advance that the coming days are going to be days spent interacting with you and with your people in prayer. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen.